0: Uh, We just want to say too, we've just entered into our online service as well. So just want to welcome everyone who's online uh, joining us today. As you can see, there's people here this morning. Uh, We hope that soon we'll be able to see you and um, be able to meet with you as well. So if you're not here, we miss you and we're looking forward to when you'll be able to join us uh, soon. We're going to read the Bible now, Uh, if you've got your Bible there. We're looking at the book of Malachi, which is just before Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament. If you are working from a church Bible, it's on page 778, but it's also going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 through to verse 5. Verse 1, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel.
1: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ross, if we haven't met. I'm so looking forward to this morning to see people's faces again. This building's been empty for so long. And it's just a, a week-to-week sign of just we've been a bit disconnected from each other. So it's so good to see faces, so good to see... Uh, people still engaging online as well, but it's also good to, as our first week back, to be starting a new series in a new book, but more than that, it's just such a relevant message that here we are to draw near to God. So this morning, my prayer is that as we hear from God's Word through this Old Testament book, that God will speak to us, that we can draw near to Him and really uh, engage with Him this morning. So I'm going to pray that uh, that will happen for you this morning. Please join me in prayer. Dear Father God, we thank you for your love for us, that you never abandon us or leave us disconnected, but you draw near to us and you invite us to draw near to you. So Lord, I pray that as we meet this morning, as we engage with your word, that your spirit will be alive and active and that you would speak to us, let us know more about you and how to know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We all love to be loved and we love to be affirmed that way. There was a time in our marriage, and I should say Kim would be here this morning, except for she 's going through a skin cancer treatment. she 's quite uncomfortable, so you might not see her for a couple of weeks. She did give me permission to tell this story, though, I think partly because she 's not here this morning, uh, to be embarrassed. but there was a time in our marriage where uh, before kids, she used to work at a news agency', and sometimes she would have a really early start, she 'd be off to work at something like five thirty in the morning. Uh, You can guess guess it. If you know me, I'm not the loving sort of person to get up at that time for anybody, so I'm still in bed at that time. I get up much later to go to work. Uh, But this morning, I got up, and she'd gone to work as normal, and I'd looked around, and she'd cut out on the pillow beside me a red love heart on a bit of cardboard, and she wrote on it, hand, hand cut out, hand wrote, I love you. I thought, that's nice. That's... That's cute that you would do that for me, to tell me that as my first thought in the morning. And as I got up and I uh, went to put on my work shirt, guess what's inside my shirt, another cut-out love heart, saying, "I love you." I go to my sock drawer to pull out a pair of socks, and what's in my sock drawer, another cut-out love heart to say, "I loved you." And as you do in the morning, you go to the bathroom and you lift up the toilet lid and guess what's inside another cut-out love heart, I love you. It was in my breakfast cereal, it was in my boots. I get to work, I open my lunchbox, because Kim had lovely made my lunch for me. I open my lunchbox in front of my workmates, and here's another cut-out love heart, I love you. It was just uh, a very clear message. It doesn't matter what your love language is, you can't miss that message that she's thinking of me. And we all like to be affirmed with that message of love, to know that somebody's there. That somebody's accepted me that they like me for me and we like that message we like being affirmed we like having that sort of relationship with people doesn't matter whether it's with a spouse or with family or friends we like acceptance and affirmation for some reason though uh, when we think of our relationship with God because that's what the Bible talks about uh, and to know God is a real relationship with him and when we talk about it here at church For some reason, we often shift gears. How's your relationship with God? Is often like, are you obeying all the rules? Are you religious enough? Or even sometimes, are you getting into God's word and learning about God enough? Rather than going, do you really know God? Do you really experience His relationship? Do you really experience His love? See, what God's saying in this book of Malachi is, it's not a shift of gear. It's actually a real living relationship. And it's the similar kind of love that is that acceptance and affirmation that we need to hear. Malachi wants to make sure that's a really clear message. So, in, as we open up the book of Malachi, Malachi is an Old Testament book, which means before Jesus. Malachi uh, is also. Uh, the, the word Malachi, his name Malachi, just means in the Hebrew, messenger. And that's who he is, is a prophet of God. And in that prof, as a prophet of God, his, his role is to speak about God. God gives him a message and then he tells everybody else. He's God's mouthpiece. So in that, um, Malachi stands up and says this message to Israel. This is what God has to say. It's a real conversation that God is having with his people. Now, as we read through this passage, uh, what we call a book of Malachi that's the only thing we know about Malachi his name and it was written about 460 years before Christ there's nothing else about the person Malachi everything else is about God because it's God speaking and that's how it should be the prophets were there not to point to themselves but to point to God this is God's message so we're going to learn lots about God less about Malachi through this this journey now, the first message God, uh, that Malachi presents is this message of God coming before his people as a father to his children. This is the sort of relationship that God is, that God is painting, this picture. <clears throat> once in chapter 1, God, uh, God says that he is their father, Israel's father. <clears throat> and once in chapter 2, he says, I am the one and only father who created you. So it is that picture, when we think of God the father, that he is their father coming to his children for a conversation and that through that, Israel and now us are his children. We're here to listen. (coughs) Uh, So what's the father going to say to his children? What's the first message? Over the next five weeks or so, there's going to be five different conversations, talking about five different things. What is the first thing, the number one thing that he's going to say to open up this conversation? we pick it up just in the opening verses where God says the father says you know what i've loved you i've loved you says the lord that's one of the most uh, amazing things that we can hear from our fathers that affirmation of love or the actions of love one of the most memorable things that that i have my dad is that that message but when God, when the God the Father says it to Israel, it raises the question, how's the family going? Is the family going to are the kids going to accept this? Yeah, I love you too, Dad. A happy family? Or is there tension in the family? Are things messy? We get the answer. Israel replies, How have you loved us? It's almost like back chat. You say you love us, but how have you loved us? We're not seeing it? You know, tell us, because we don't get it. We don't get it at this moment. So the Father, God the Father, gives them a lesson, and it's a history lesson about His love and about how it's, how it's working out. He takes them on a family lesson on the family tree, <clears throat> where he says, "Was not Esau Jacob's brother?" declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob. Now, to us, you know, maybe the names are a little bit familiar. They're some of those Old Testament guys. But for Israel, this is really important. See, Jacob was their great, 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 several generations ago granddad. That's their family line, that they were uh, connected to Jacob. And so this has meaning, and the meaning is not a pretty story for them. It's actually a big reminder for them. But we need a bit of a catch-up, because we don't know Israel's family tree. So let me just take you on a little journey uh, back. How does... Esau and Jacob fit into this whole picture. What's it got to do with Israel? What's it got to do with us? So the lesson is, back in chapter 12 of Genesis, out of all the people, God chose Abraham to make certain promises. Call to Abraham, trust me. Trust me, and this is what I'll do. If you trust me, I'll, I'm going to make promises. I'm going to make you into a great nation through all your descendants. I'm going to give you a great place to live. You're going to have a great uh, land. And I'm going to give you great blessings. And through your blessings, you'll be a blessing to all other nations. Big promises through Abraham and his descendants. But then Abraham grows old. He marries Sarah. They have a son, Isaac. So the inheritance goes to Isaac. Isaac marries a lady called Rebecca. They have two sons. their are twin sons, Esau and Jacob. But as you read through Genesis, we get this big, amazing promise in chapter 12 to Abraham. And then we start asking the question, well, how's God going to fulfill his promises? Who's he going to work with? Who's he going to accept and love and bless? Isaac grows old, so he's not exactly seeing it fulfilled in Isaac's time. But, but it's through his, um, through his descendants. So when we get to Esau and Jacob... to ask the question, the logical question, well how is God going to fulfill his promises? Is it through Jacob or is it through Esau? And this is where we zoom into the story, this is where God wants to say, you need to take a close look at this and this is where we're going to spend a bit of time now, picturing this Esau, Jacob, the twin brother story. See for them, uh, they're always at each other, they're very different brothers. For uh, Esau and Jacob, even before they were born, we're told a story about even in Rebecca's womb they were fighting. Yeah, you know, kids can fight. Can you imagine that fight happening inside your body? Like they were really fighting. They didn't like each other. But then, excuse me. Uh, but then we get to get told about the birth, and in the birth, we're told Esau comes out first, and Esau, we're told. <laughs> is very red and very hairy. He's described when he came out of the womb in the birthing suite that it looked like he was wearing a jumper. He was that hairy. But then for Jacob, Jacob's always fighting with Esau. So Jacob's got Esau's leg in a bit of a wrestling lock and he's hanging on as they both come out. So Jacob comes out soon after. He's the exact opposite. Very clean and white. The image I have of this, I haven't got pictures. <coughs> Excuse me. I haven't got pictures, but the image I have is is you met Ben and Ryan before. Uh, one's a very hairy man and one's not. Uh, you can hold on to that image as long as you like as I fill out the story, but that's as far as I'm happy to take it, because Esau, as they grow older, Esau is known as an outdoors guy. Loves hunting, loves killing animals. We're also told he has a very distinct smell he smells bad this is pre-deodorant and things like that uh, but he has a very distinct smell you're gonna lose the image of ryan now that's that's done with uh, but for jacob jacob is an indoors guy doesn't like being outside he's very clean and smells all right now there's favorites in the household you know we shouldn't have favorites we shouldn't but you know Mum and dad always have favourites. Uh, we know for Esau, he's an outdoors guy, he's an animals, killing animals guy, he's dad's boy. But for Jacob, he's indoors, he loves uh, being inside, cooking, he's a bit more of a vegetarian, so he's mummy's boy on that side. So we have the two. I'm really trying to get Ryan and Ben out of my head at this point. But here's the, that's the picture, the two boys. But the thing that Esau's got, because he was the firstborn, he has a birthright. He's a bit different. The birthright is uh, when the parents die, they get the inheritance. So when, um, when Isaac and Rebekah pass away, Esau is the one first in line to be blessed. And at those times, um, they would get a blessing and they would receive in the inheritance all the possessions. So all the land that they owned, all the animals owned, all the money that they owned. And in this case, the promises of God goes with that with the inheritance. Esau's got that birthright. That's his reputation. He's a number one guy, ready to step into that role. But for Jacob, Jacob's got a reputation of being sneaky and conniving and a bit of a cheater. So he's like Esau's got something I want. Now, I'm going to scare, I'm going to try and get this birthright off Esau. So he comes up with this plan and this story is a little bit like who's the most stupid out of the two sons really because Jacob's plan is I'm going to cook up some great soup lentil soup I'm going to make some great lentil soup (coughs) it's going to be so good when Esau comes in from hunting he'll be hungry he's going to smell my amazing soup and I'm going to say yeah it smells good doesn't it you can have some as long as you give me your birthright okay who's the most stupid that's a stupid plan or is Esau so stupid that he's going to take up the plan? Well, as it turns out, Esau does. He comes back, lentil soup, amazing, great. Yeah, birthright. I don't care about the birthright. Take it. So then he hands over his birthright. Now you kind of go, what is that story about? Now, later on, Esau shows us a little bit more about his character by backflipping. going, No, I'm not going to give you my birthright. The lentil soup was overrated anyway. So I'm going to take it back. So he's not even a man of his word esau so jacob's then got a problem how am i going to get the birthright i've tried to pull the wool over my brother's eyes well i have to take it to a whole new level i have to take it from old man isaac see by this time isaac is getting old he's blind and he's at the point where he's ready to to bless one of his sons to give them the birthright the blessings so he calls in who's he going to call in esau because esau is his favorite esau come in it's now time to give you your birthright the blessing and uh he said just as before i do i want you to go out and and catch me something catch me some game cook it up to a nice stew and that'll be just a nice way setting the tone for a nice blessing so esau's like yep time's come i'm out i'm going hunting rebecca the mum She hears the plan, so she's like, hang on, my son, my boy Jacob, he's going to miss out. Jacob, you need to get in there. So between Jacob and his mum, they come up with this plan. Jacob needs to get in there to take the blessing. So Jacob comes in, hey dad, it's me, Esau, Uh, I'm here for the blessing. So old man Isaac's like, hang on a minute, who am I talking to? So he asks him a bit closer, come over so I can touch you. So he goes out to touch Jacob, but remember Esau's the hairy one. Jacob's outsmarted him because Jacob has covered himself with a animal skin. So when old man Isaac touches his arm, he goes, "Yep, that's hairy. That's that's Esau." He's come a bit closer so I can smell you. Because remember, Esau's the one with the bad smell. Jacob's outsmarted him again. He's gone, gone to Esau's uh, closet. He's grabbed his coat and he's going, "Yep, smell the coat." And it's like, "Whoa, yep, that smells like Esau." What about the stew? Well, son, Rebecca comes in, mum comes in with the stew. Here's the stew, dad. The stew, I made you. It's like, okay, you've done everything I've asked, but something's not right. So Isaac asks him straight, Are you really Esau? What's Jacob to do? So far, he's gone along with the scam. He's tried to pull the wool over his dad's eyes. But then he's, is he going to lie to his dad and lie to the one that God's given the promises to, like, is he really going to do it? He says, yeah, it's me, Dad. It's Esau. So old man Isaac gives him the blessing, not only the inheritance, but the blessing of God's promises relies on you. <clears throat> Jacob goes, great, I've got it. I've scanned him. I've done my deal. He starts walking out. Guess who walks in the door? Esau, back in from hunting, back in from cooking his stew. He hears what's happened, and he's so outraged at what's happened, he he chases after Jake. He wants to kill, he wants to murder his brother. He chases him out of the house, out of town, even out of the country, trying to kill his brother for what he's done. So at this point in the story, you've got to ask the question we started with, who is God going to bless? Who is God going to choose to love? Who's going to carry the inheritance? Is it Jacob, the lying, cheating, scamming, self centered, I want it, it's mine, I'll do anything to get it guy? Or Esau, the one who doesn't really care about his birthright, cares about his stomach more, and and wants to murder his brother? Who is deserving of God's love? Who's deserving of the promises? Is there a third option, really? Because they're both unworthy. You know, God could easily have said, "Look, you know what? I've never seen such a dysfunctional family. That I'm just going to wipe it all and start again. <clears throat> like this is really a mess. I'm going to start with this family over here." But God doesn't. God says, "I've made promises to Abraham that his descendants would be blessed in this way. So I choose to work through Jacob and choose to love Jacob." And I'm not just talking about just, oh, he's a rat bag, so I'll just, you know, I'll drag him along for the story. No, no, he draws near to Jacob. He changes Jacob. He loves Jacob and looks after Jacob and blesses him. He truly has that uh, connection with Jacob, truly loves him. Now, we kind of got to go, why? Why? Now, it's a big lesson for Israel, hearing this many years later, when God says, I chose to love Jacob, you know that rat bag? He didn't deserve anything. In fact, Esau and Jacob, they deserve to be on this, <clears throat> on this path of destruction. They're both not worthy of me. They're both going down this path of self-centered, self-glory. Just They should be let go and let down, go down to the path of destruction. But I'm going to choose to love one, pull him out and give him life. Now, if you jump forward to Israel, <clears throat> so Malachi is giving them the message to Israel here's a bit of a picture on the Bible timeline Malachi is up where the balloon is because they're happy because they're returning they've been into exile now they're returning back to Jerusalem the story of uh, Abraham Isaac Esau and Jacob that's down at the patriarchs what's it got to do with Israel up here see what's going on for Israel is they messed up. Israel were following other gods, they were trusting idols, uh, they were trusting in their armies, so they had their their, their big nation, they had their big place in Jerusalem, <clears throat> and God said, you know what, if you're going to mess me around, he's going to just wipe it all away. So he let Babylon come in, they trashed Jerusalem, they took the Israelites out, turned them into, into slaves, and now uh, Babylon has crumbled, so Babylon's turned into nothing, Now all the Israelites are gone, hey, let's go home and get back to our old days, how good it was. They go back to Jerusalem and there's, there's no houses. It's all been looted and turned to rubble. The king's palace is no more. Where's the temple? There's no temple. It's like we're back in Jerusalem. We're back to be this great nation and we're a nobody that nobody loves, nobody cares about, not even God. What's going on? Now God's saying, Remember Jacob, he was a rat bag. He was a lying, deceiving, undeserving guy. And I said I would love him. For generation and generation, there's been lots of dysfunctional families and rat bags all along the journey. We get to Israel and God says, do you think I've abandoned you? Do you think I've given up on you? I love you and I'm with you. They thought God was far away, that abandoned him. He's going, no, I'm there for you. I'm there with you. That must be a, such an affirming message. That even though they mucked up, God would come with a message. I love you. I'm with you. But then he goes on to remind them the alternative path. <clears throat> because we, we met Esau. So Jacob's line goes through Israel. Uh, Esau, his heritage or his descendants turn into the Edomites. And this is God sort of reminding Israel, remember, if, you, if I wasn't loving you, what this would look like. This is what it looks like if you're not uh, in a loving relationship with God. He goes, I was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I've hated, and I've, I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom, so Esau's uh, descendants... <coughs> Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. It's like they've picked a fight originally, Esau with Jacob. But Esau's really now fighting not just with Jacob, but with, with God himself. Edom is fighting Israel but they're really picking a fight with God and God's going you're never going to win that you've chosen a path of destruction and there you will go to destruction but for for Jacob and his descendants Israel you're going to be great see what the way things pan out is uh, God sends his own son the world's in a mess when Jesus comes The whole world is on their path to destruction. They've rejected God. They want to go their own way, which is all our story. So they're on their path to destruction. God sends Jesus into the world to save, to save some, to choose some, to love some. But what does the world do? They kill the son. They push against God even again. You know when Herod, there's King Herod. He's the one who pulls the trigger on Jesus. He's the one who sends Jesus to the cross to be killed. You know whose line of lineage is Herod? He's an Edomite, if you trace back his family history. They're still Edomites, still pushing against God, pushing against God. And even, let's take out God's son. God's going, you're not going to win. In fact, through killing Jesus, through taking Jesus, Jesus dies the destruction that we all deserve to give life, to save some, to love some, so we can have that, to know what it is to love God and to be in that relationship. So through Jesus, this is how he fulfills even more promises. We get a taste of this in verse 5. He says, talking to Israel, his children, you'll see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. God's children is not going to be Israel anymore. In Jerusalem, in that geographical space, God's children is going to be scattered. They're going to be all over the earth, even in Australia, even in Southside now. Great is the Lord that, that this inheritance, this promise is going so big that many will come to know him. Even though Jacob was a rat bag, I'm going to love him. Even though Israel were rat bags, I'm going to love them. Even though we're rat bags, God says, I'm going to choose to love you. And he sent Jesus to do that. It's just affirming to know that even if we've made a mess of things, even if we've mucked up, I think if you're here today hearing this message and hearing this calling of God to say, I love you. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've done. I'm reaching out to you now to draw near This is why you were created. This is why you were called. To have that real living relationship with him. Not to know about him. Not to become more religious or anything like that. But to really know him. To draw near to him. I'm going to pray that this is the start of a journey for us. Not just coming back to church and engaging with other people. But this is a journey of really knowing God and experiencing him through his love. But also, as we go the next five weeks or so, that he's saying, I want to be involved in your life, not just on Sundays, but all of your life. And that's where he goes over the next five weeks. It's going to be a hard journey, being challenged about what it means to draw near to God in all areas of life. But I invite you to come on that journey, to say, what does this mean? Because I want to know this God more. I want to experience his love, unconditional love even to love people like me. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this picture of amazing love, that even throughout history, you've got a record of loving the unlovely, rebels, people who make mistakes, and that's what makes it amazing love. Lord, thank you for being faithful to your children through Israel, and thank you for breaking the borders and coming to places like Australia. We thank you for that unconditional love. And just pray that you would help us to know it, that we would experience it, that we would draw near to you like you call us to. We pray it in Jesus' name.